0: Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, January 3rd. Happy New Year to you. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. Governor Hochul has new plans for how to deal with COVID in the new year. She wants to extend the state's mask mandate through the end of the month and has ordered millions of test kits for school children. We want to make sure we have
1: enough supply so everybody can take a test kit home in their backpack come back the next day if they have a negative test and get tested again in a couple of days. This is how we believe, listening to the experts, that this is the safest way to keep children in schools.
2: Meanwhile, prison advocates say the state needs to do more to protect inmates from the virus. More than 8,000 people incarcerated have gotten sick since the start of the pandemic. Jennifer Scaife says that may be an undercount and inmates remain at risk.
3: There is a real distrust among incarcerated people in the health care that they receive and that's why the vaccination rate remains just above 50 percent far lower than the general public
0: and Ontario guitarist Pat Johnson explains what learning to play well that learning to play well does not come easily plus we've got a sound quiz today all of that's coming up on Northern Light stick with us
2: Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Village Mercantile, bringing Saranac Lake to places beyond the Adirondacks with an array of Adirondack-made and inspired goods. Villagemerc.com, anything but general. And Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all-natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups. Apothecarychocolates.com.
0: This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandresky.
2: And I'm Todd Moe. Since the start of the pandemic, more than 8,000 people incarcerated in state prisons have gotten sick with COVID-19 and 40 have died. A prison advocacy group says that may be an undercount and warns that inmates continue to be at risk with a low vaccination rate of around 52%.
0: Jennifer Skay from the Correctional Association of New York recently spoke with David Lombardo from the public radio program Capitol Press Room about what the Department of Corrections, known as DOCS, has done and not done to keep inmates and staff safe during the pandemic.
3: DOCS has done, I think, far less testing than it might have. And what I suspect is that We've undercounted the number of positive cases because we know that, that COVID can appear asymptomatic in, in many individuals. And so I think that the true scale, uh, of the impact of COVID from a, from a health perspective alone is difficult to determine based on the numbers that they report. I think the other challenge and problem really, uh, is that there is this issue of excess deaths, right? So there are the deaths attributable to COVID. And then there are deaths that happen because people did not seek or were not able to access care for other conditions. We know anecdotally, based on talking to hundreds of people in prison over the past year and a half, that there has been a great deal of neglect and non-treatment of other conditions.
4: How has the state's prison system approached uh, testing, and is there any sort of variance based on facility, or is there just one set policy that's being implemented uh, from the state?
3: The policy that, that DOCS has followed involves testing of people who demonstrate symptoms, which again will miss anyone who is asymptomatic, but to capture The possibility of asymptomatic cases, they had been using a surveillance testing, a random testing strategy. But based on the conversations that we had with administrators at individual prisons over the past 18 months, some of that random testing was quite low. So for prison that held hundreds of incarcerated people, there might have been 10 random tests per week. What can
4: you tell us about efforts to ensure that New York's prison population is vaccinated uh, against COVID-19?
3: Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, did not designate people in prison in the earliest phases of the vaccine distribution. And it was only in phase two that incarcerated people began receiving the vaccines. I think after that slow start, there was a great deal and, and continues to be a great deal of effort on the part of docs to promote the vaccine. I think the challenge that docs and other prison systems face is that there is a real distrust uh, among incarcerated people in the health care that they receive. And that's why the vaccination rate uh, among the incarcerated population Uh, in New York's prisons, remains just above 50%, far lower than the general public.
2: Jennifer Scaife with the Correctional Association of New York. She spoke recently with David Lombardo from the public radio program Capital Press Room.
0: In the meantime, Governor Kathy Hochul has unveiled a few plans to help the state as a whole cope with COVID in the first weeks of 2022. They include an extension of the statewide mask mandate until February 1st and more testing for school children From Albany, Karen DeWitt reports.
1: Hochul says her prime goals are to avoid economic shutdowns and keep children in school as they return to the classroom Monday. Her plan for the winter surge, which she calls the 2.0 version, comes as the state continues to break records for the number of people testing positive for COVID and hospital rates continue to climb. The governor says the good news is while the number of cases is skyrocketing, the death rate is far lower than earlier in the pandemic before vaccines became available. She says the highly transmissible Omicron variant, which continues to gain prevalence, appears much milder than the previous versions of the virus. And in South Africa, where Omicron was first detected, the surge has already peaked. We're not out of it. I'm not here to say we're out of this. We are still addressing a very serious situation. Hochul says the state has procured over 5.5 million rapid test kits that are being distributed to schools, and as many as 8 million more are coming. She says the aim is to have enough tests on hand to successfully carry out what's known as a test-to-stay policy. We want to make sure we have enough supply. So in the case where one of the classmates tests positive, Everybody can take a test kit home in their backpack, come back the next day if they have a negative test, and get tested again in a couple of days. This is how we believe, listening to the experts, that this is the safest way to keep children in schools. Beginning January 15th, college students who are eligible for the booster shot will be required to get one in order to return to campus for the spring semester. And Huckle says it's necessary to extend the state's mask mandate, which was to expire mid-month until the end of the month. The vast majority of the nearly 8,000 New Yorkers who are in the hospital with the virus are unvaccinated, an occurrence that Hochul says is unnecessary because vaccines are widely available. The state's health commissioner, Dr. Mary Bassett, says she's concerned over the increasing incidences of young children being
5: hospitalized with the disease. In the week of December 5th through 11th, there were 70 pediatric admissions and in this week, beginning December 26th, there have been so far 299. And a large number of these are in children under five. Uh, these are children who aren't eligible to be vaccinated.
1: And vaccination rates among older children aged five to eleven who have been eligible since mid November is low at just twenty nine percent compared to eighty three percent of the adult population. Doctor Bassett says her other concern is that even though the Omicron variant is not as severe, the sheer number of infections could overwhelm the health care system and lead to further restrictions. But the health commissioner and Governor Hochul say they aren't ready to impose further mandates on New Yorkers, but they say they won't hesitate to do so if things get worse than what is now expected. Trending-wise, we're being asked to predict the future here, and that's not something we could do. Hochul is facing a Democratic primary for election in 2022, and one of her opponents critiqued her new plan. Long Island Congressman Tom Swasey says it falls far short, and among other things, the governor needs to open more state-run testing sites, including drive through sites, to ease the testing crunch. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
2: You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 10 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe.
0: And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, music and conversation with Ontario guitarist Pat Johnson. Plus, we've got a sound quiz coming up. That's here in just a few minutes on Northern Light.
2: music by Colton guitarist Paul Myers. It is supported by the Oscebel River Association, building solutions for flood resilience in Adirondack communities. Learn more at river.org And by Thomas J. Lombard, P.E. Keysville, providing engineering planning and environmental consulting services to Northern New York and Vermont. 518 834 7729.
0: Governor Kathy Hochul has signed into law a bill that will raise the age that a child can be arrested for certain crimes from age 7 to age 12. The bill was previously introduced in the Assembly but failed to make it out of committee. The bill got new attention this year after a 7-year-old in Brazier Falls was arrested by New York State Police and accused of rape in March of 2020. Brazier Falls is in northern St. Lawrence County. The law also changes the age a child can be held in detention or be given probation, and it raises the age fingerprints and photos can be taken and when they and other documents must be destroyed. Some of these changes are different if the child is accused of a Class A or B felony. The law also requires changes to local social services programs to prevent repeated delinquency. The law goes into into effect at the end of this year.
2: Congress ditched a controversial measure last month that would have required women to register for the Selective Service. Men must register when they turn 18 and can be forced into the military if the U.S. ever reinstates the draft. But supporters of gender-neutral registration say they'll keep working to include women. Desiree DiOrio reports for the American Homefront Project.
5: It was the closest the country has come to requiring women to register for the Selective Service. The House of Representatives and the Senate Armed Services Committee approved the historic change as they debated the annual defense spending package. Then it got stripped out during closed-door negotiations. Support for the requirement has united unlikely political allies. Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, a member of the Armed Services Committee, calls it a gender. Equality and a national defense issue. To say only men are needed in that moment of a national emergency is outrageous and obscene. Gillibrand says she's determined to get the law passed, whether that's through annual defense spending or a standalone bill. Republican Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa also backs the measure. The Army veteran says a draft is very unlikely, but women would be essential in any future conflict.
1: She could also choose to serve in a cyber unit where she is sitting behind lines where she's safe, but certainly working to disrupt the enemy. All of these
5: jobs are
3: important.
5: The call to include women in the selective service has picked up steam as women have expanded their footprint in the military. While congressional Democrats are largely united on the issue, Republicans are split. Republican Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene said at a September meeting of the House Rules Committee that women would be unfairly disadvantaged if forced to fight. Men and women are not physically the same, and women do not possess an equal
3: opportunity to survive on the battlefield in direct combat with battle hardened men. And I can say that as a woman who can deadlift 300 pounds, can do more pull ups than anyone else in this room, and run faster than any of you.
5: The push to require women to register with the Selective Service reflects a report last year from a commission Congress created. It recommended Congress keep the Selective Service in place as a last resort in case the U.S. faces a threat too big for the all-volunteer military to handle. And it said women should be required to register, too. Republican former Congressman Joe Heck from Nevada served as chairman.
3: Congress has once again shirked their responsibility to answer an important question that they themselves raised That they chartered a commission to review, which commission returned a report with a recommendation that both houses accepted in their respective drafts, only to have it taken out as a political maneuver.
5: Meanwhile, some feminist groups are calling on Congress to dismantle the selective service system altogether. Code Pink is an anti-war group that formed in 2002 during the run-up to the Iraq War. National Director Carly Town says supporters of expanding the Selective Service use false feminist language.
1: It's premised on the idea that gender equality means expanding the opportunity for women to be coerced into joining the U.S. military. Our take is abolish it for everyone. That is true gender
5: equality. This summer, the Supreme Court rejected a case that argued the all-male selective service is discriminatory. The justices said the issue was for Congress to decide. Former Congressman Joe Heck hopes now the Supreme Court will revisit the issue. I'm Desiree Diorio on Long Island.
0: This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
2: The deadline has passed for local governments to opt out of the state law allowing the sale of marijuana for adult use only. The law required communities to make a decision by December 31st. Some of the North Country communities that will allow marijuana shops to open are Canton, Messina, the village of Potsdam. Others like Watertown, Brazier and Cape Vincent will not allow the pot shops. Most places, regardless of voting to opt out or allow sales, decided to ban marijuana consumption in dispensaries. The law would return about 4% of the sales taxes collected from sales in a municipality to be returned to the local government. Any place that has opted out can change that decision at any time.
0: And a 28-acre solar farm in St. Lawrence County has gotten approval for a 30-year payment in lieu of taxes or pilot plan. According to the Watertown Daily Times, the plan was approved by the county's Industrial Development Agency, or IDA. It requires source renewables, the owners of the 5-megawatt solar farm, to pay $5,000 for every megawatt produced by the farm in its first year. The amount will increase by 2% each year for the rest of the agreement. The IDA says that will amount to almost a million dollars over 30 years. The project is located in the town of Oswegatchie. Construction is expected to be... Again in the spring. Mm-hmm.
2: to Northern Life here on North Country Public Radio. Good
0: morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, what life is like for an Ontario guitarist playing music is not a gift, says Pat Johnson. After that, stick around for news headlines from NPR coming up at 830 and Bird Note is just ahead at 842. Right now it's negative 4 degrees in Ellenburg Center, negative 11 in Paul Smith's, negative 1 in Old Forge, and negative 6 degrees in Ogdensburg. There's some freezing fog right now in the Tri-Lakes area, but sunny skies in the forecast today with highs in the Upper single digits to around 12 degrees, a balmy 12 degrees expected in some parts of the region, but sunny skies in the forecast today and for much of the region tomorrow. Some clouds in the forecast possible uh, for the Adirondacks tomorrow, but a bit warmer with highs in the 20s tomorrow expected. Well, for the past year and a half, NCPR's Underscore Project has been featuring the music of regional artists during our news programs. Athens, Ontario guitarist Pat Johnson is one of the many musicians participating. In addition to his career playing solo gigs and shows with small groups, he's taught guitar in Brockville for two decades. He first spoke with NCPR's Doyle Dean last summer and explained that learning to play well does not come easily.
4: It is not a gift. People say it's a gift. I disagree. It is not a gift. You earn how to play. At least I have to earn it. It didn't come to me. I had to go after it every ounce. I'm not gifted when it comes to being able to play music. Every note is like lifting a brick. woman I love Took from my bed. Back to when you first You got your first guitar I was 21 when I first started playing So not exactly A child prodigy I'm a avid music collector I just love buying records and CDs And listening to them And uh, did a lot of that So when all my friends were out partying I would spend my money on records instead I can be particularly impatient with myself And I wasn't sure that I'd be able to learn How to play an instrument But I started picking it up when I was 21 I bought my first guitar with my first paycheck out of, uh, out of finishing school and uh, just put myself into it. And I had a good teacher in Brockville and now I teach at his store. He's gone now, but uh, I still teach at his store. I've been at his store for, I think, since about 1997. I've been instructing and, and working there. You play a certain finger style. Can you kind of like deconstruct it for us? My guitar teacher was a was a thumb guy. He would, you know, use his thumb. You could like that kind of Chet Atkins type thing. And uh, and so the like learning how to play, say in the style of maybe a Mississippi John Hurt or something like that, where he would have like his he would he would have the accompaniment and then he'd play like fragments of the melody on top of that. So if this is a song like Karina Karina To hear a bit of the chord that's happening there there's it's almost ha- you trying to create the illusion that there's maybe more than one guitar playing at the same time um, and that's a really satisfying way to uh, to play particularly when you're playing by yourself yeah that's nice it, it really you're right it really does kind of sound like a whole band is happening there um, what tell me what you enjoy about teaching both my wife and i are artists and uh, if you're gonna make a living in in the art world teaching is probably something you're going to end up doing and you know i do have students who i i really feel like i'm passing it on that's a that's a common thing that a, that a lot of teachers will say is the idea that you're passing on that that ability to uh to do music and uh you know music's a good it's a good and healthy thing for people to be able to do and i think my students would would attest that uh that i am uh <laughs> patient and you know i hear that a lot um how do you put up with this? (laughs) How do you listen to me? You know, but I'm just, you just, I understand what it's like to be there. I really remember it very clearly that your fingers just like, these are my fingers and they're not doing what I want. And how do I get there? And, you know, freaking out on them is not going to do any good. So I just have to be patient and slow it down and work away at it. You know, that's a muscle and teaching people how to, how to grow that muscle inside themselves, being patient and, and to, apply themselves to something no amount of begging will get you the skill to be able to play you have to earn it yourself thanks pat hopefully you enjoyed the interview as much as i did it was great yeah good
2: Guitarist Pat Johnson lives and works in Eastern Ontario. He spoke with Doyle Dean last summer. His new album is called Coming In From My Kitchen. There is a link on our website, ncpr.org.
0: And Pat Johnson is one of the many North Country musicians participating in our Underscore project. You can find more about him and other musicians in our region who are part of the project at ncpr.org slash underscore.
2: It's 825 and broadcast of Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Health in Saranac Lake, recently designated a comprehensive joint replacement center. Learn more at adirondackhealth.org. I'm todd Moe and Monica Sandresky, the tables have turned.
0: I am nervous for this. It is so much easier being the one that 's <laughs> providing the sound quiz music, not the one guessing you 're so you 're so good at guessing todd i 'm nervous to be on this side of things
2: <laughs> okay uh, so we 've been sharing these little audio snippets from time to time. You have never heard this. I've
0: never heard this sound.
2: I know what it is because I recorded it, and uh, I'll let you listen. And if you need a clue, just ask. But I actually think you're going to figure this one out.
0: Uh -uh. Oh, Todd, I think I know that. Are you... Are you walking in the new snow?
2: Not only am I walking in the new snow, I am walking in the new snow at about minus 15 degrees. Oh, my goodness. On my way out to the car. Well done.
0: Okay. (laughs) You gave me an easy one. That was pretty easy. You
2: know, but it's timely, right?
0: It's very timely. I actually
2: love, I love that crunchy sound. Oh, yeah. When it's Bitter cold, yes. And you walk on the snow, especially if the like it's been plowed or it's packed down, and your feet make that scrunchy noise. Oh, uh, yes. that for me is like one of the sounds of winter.
0: Oh, you know? it absolutely is. And I bet we should ask Eileen O'Donohue when she comes back on. I bet she knows why. It just sounds different. There must be something just in the air with the temperature or the atmosphere or something. When is she coming back on? She's on in a couple weeks.
2: Yeah, she'll be back mid-month. And uh, that's a really good question. Uh, And maybe a listener knows the answer. So if you do radio at n c p r org and if you have i recorded that on my my smartphone
0: oh perfect with the,
2: with the voice app
0: and it was super simple yeah, right yeah
2: and super simple and we want you to do the same thing right
0: yes and you can send it to me so we can try to stump Todd or maybe now you're in the, if you're trying to stump me instead of Todd, <laughs> so you could email at monica at ncpr.org. If you want to stump me, email todd at org.
2: John Doan, old Lang Syne, Old Long Since, on this first Northern Light for the new year.
0: We actually sang this on New Year's <laughs> Eve together. Oh, I love it. I love oh, this yeah. song. Oh, this is wonderful. Well, that is the show for the day. Morning edition continues in just a minute. After that, stick around for the Marketplace Morning Report coming up between 8.51 and 9 o'clock. I'm Monica Sandresky.
2: And I'm Todd Moe. Be well.